Hey, welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is your host, Dane Kramer, and I want to welcome you to the episode today. If this is the first time you've ever uh, tuned into the Thinking Christian Podcast, welcome. Uh, if you've tuned in again, thank you for coming. If you've tuned in before, thank you for coming back. It's good to have you here. The Thinking Christian Podcast is really about all things Christian through a thinking way. I mean, I want to approach things in a very reasonable, um, logical fashion. And uh, I believe that a Christian doesn't have to check his or her brain in the door when they become a Christian. So I want to think through the processes. And I'm hoping that you'll think through them with me today. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. The Thinking Christian, it's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. There you'll find my website. There are plenty of resources to browse around if you'd like to. Uh, there are some other audio files. Just go to the search engine and type in audio. And I think I have an audio page with some. I think I, I preached a few times. You can download those uh, sermons if you'd like. Uh, there are some teachings that I provided one time, and those were recorded. So you can feel free to uh, download those MP, MP3 files. And of course, you can uh, listen to previous podcast episodes. Just click the episode or the podcast link, and there you'll find all previous Christian Thinking Christian podcasts. Okay, today I want to take a look at the Bible itself and address the question, is it reliable? You know, this is a frequently asked question, and I get it a lot in my ministry at the jails. I encounter guys who are really not familiar with the Bible all that much. Uh, A lot of them were not raised in Christian homes. Uh, A lot of them do not have church backgrounds. And as I lead Bible studies at the jail, those guys who come down, they will occasionally, and I mean, it's, it's probably one of the most frequently asked questions that I get, and that is, why should I believe the Bible? You know, what about the Bible makes it different? Or sometimes the question is phrased, uh, why should I believe the Bible? It was written by man, right? And therefore, you know, why should I believe it? And uh, so I want to address those questions today because, for the most part, they're good questions. And I think if someone is genuinely seeking truth, they would eventually, at some point, ask this question. They'll, they'll, they'll want to know about the Bible, and so I want to address them. Now, the first response that I, or the first question I want to address is, it was written by man, right? You know, why should I listen to it? Well, that that's kind of a kind of a bogus question, really, if you ask me, because everything in the universe that we have that's written has been written by man. So we can't reject anything just simply because it was written by mankind, um, because you would be rejecting everything that's been written. So, um, but yet, for, for whatever reason, it's occasionally asked, well, you know, isn't the Bible written by man? And uh, I suppose they want to hear, well, you know, it was written by God. I don't know really where that comes from because everything was written by man. So, um, you know, to be logically consistent with that objection, you would have to consistently reject everything that was written. Um, But uh, people aren't logical, uh, logically consistent oftentimes, and so that really isn't uh, too valid of an objection. But the the other questions about this, I think, are valid, and and that is, is it reliable? I mean, why should I believe the Bible? Those kinds of of questions. Well, um, let me just talk a little bit about how the Bible was written so we understand, um, you know, how to address the question. 
or not so much how it was written, although we'll talk about that, but but how it was preserved. And uh, you know, I'll focus most mostly on the New Testament because uh, for Christians, that's really the crux of our belief. Our belief as Jesus Christ really comes from the New Testament. So we could talk about the Old maybe on another podcast, but today I'll just kind of, kind of focus on the New Testament because I think that's where a lot of the questions arise from. Um, so uh, you know, Jesus did not write anything down. He didn't leave any, um, you know, he, he didn't leave any writings. But he charged his apostles or his disciples with uh, the task of teaching the church. And eventually, I think as they were starting to die off, um, and they realized Jesus wasn't returning already, that maybe they thought they would write down some of his teachings so that they would be preserved. And so. Um, they wrote them down. We have sort of different classes in the Bible, uh, two main class classifications of scriptures, and that is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the stories of Jesus. And then the rest of them are, are really epistles or, or letters written by the apostles. So uh, they started to write down, for example, the stories of Jesus or, or the teachings um, uh, that they, they got from Jesus, or maybe um, like Paul's letter to the Corinthians church, he was addressing problems in the church, and so he was uh, writing there. So the early churches received these letters, or the recipients received these letters, and they realized the value of them. They had been written by people who had been with Jesus, and so they wanted to preserve them, or at least share them. Now, in those days, of course, in the first century or second century, you didn't have a, a Xerox machine. You couldn't copy it. You couldn't snap a picture with your phone. And the only way to really make a copy was to sit down and handwrite a copy, which was expensive. It was tedious. It was not something anybody could do. Uh, and so the copies were very carefully made. And when a copy was made, more than likely it was distributed, and copies of that copy was made, and copies of that copy was made, and so on and so forth. And so these um, these handwritten copies began to be circulated, and they began to be carried to different um, lands, not just uh, you know not just different towns, but eventually different countries, and they were uh, translated into different languages, uh, so that uh, the church could continue to read these letters. Now, we do not have the original letters. We don't have, for example, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, or his letter to the Romans, or Mark's gospel. We don't have the original copy of that manuscript. And we don't have the first copy of that manuscript, nor the second copy of that manuscript. You know, we don't have the earliest copies. We have copies of copies that were produced later and, and preserved. So the question might be asked, is that reliable? You know, is this what Mark wrote in his original gospel? Is this what Paul wrote to the, the church in Corinth? Um, you know, how do I know that that's reliable? Well, I think to, to know that, we might ask, how would we know anything is reliable when it's written down? You know, what, what's the standard? How would we know if something uh, from antiquity, for example, is reliable? How would we know that we can trust it? And I think the answer to that is that we would just apply reasonable, logical steps. Reasonable, um, uh, we would apply reason as we would come to that question and just you know, look at it logically. And one of the unique things about the New Testament, for example, is that as it was spread, it was it, as it went to different countries, as it went to different languages, um, many of those uh, families of manuscripts we have today 
and we can compare them. So we can look at these manuscripts. We can compare maybe the Latin against the Greek, and and you know we can we can take a look at the various languages that they were copied into to see if there were changes made. Now I will tell you that there are variations in the manuscripts. Uh, this is well known by those who study them that there are numerous, I'll even say, variations within the manuscripts. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of variations. But about 99% of these variations are what I would classify as meaningless. They are uh, spelling errors. There are uh, word omissions or word insertions. For example, a, um, a copyist may be copying a line and he just copies the same word twice. I mean, he takes a coffee break between it, comes back, sits down, and picks it up with the last word that he wrote and he writes it again. And uh, what's, what happens is sometimes the next copyist doesn't pick up on that error and just simply copies it, and so those mistakes get preserved. But by comparing families of manuscripts against one one another, these types of errors uh, are quickly identified and and are, are recognized because they're not picked up in other families of manuscripts. You know, for example, other languages or or um, those types of things. And so that one way of determining how reliable it is is to compare the manuscripts and to see where the uh, the errors or the uh, variations occur. But as I said, these variations aren't variations that make any kind of difference. You know, if a word is misspelled, if if a, a sentence is restructured differently, uh, but it means the same. In fact, no no change to the meaning of the New Testament. Um, is there? I mean, there 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 are no changes made. Uh, these small variations make no changes to the context. There's nothing that we have lost concerning Jesus, or nothing we know more through about Jesus um, through any of the variations. They don't change the basic context, context or cont um, content of the scriptures. And in some cases, entire verses are missing. For example, one of the most well-known is Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. Some manuscripts uh, say in that verse, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is a conversation with Philip had with the eunuch um, whom he baptized uh, immediately following this section. But in some manuscripts, Acts 8, 37, doesn't exist. In fact, if you look in your probably uh, New International Bible, if you have a New International Version (NIV), you'll you'll read chapter uh, you'll read chapter eight of Acts, and it'll go from verse 36 to 38. It doesn't even have a number 37, and that's because when they translated um, the NIV from those particular uh, what they're called the Alexandrian texts, um, verse 37 wasn't found and yet it appears in some manuscripts. And so many believe that verse 37 didn't appear in the original and that perhaps this was an insertion later into the text. And, and indeed it may have been. I don't know. I don't know. But if you take it out, nothing changes. There, there's nothing different about it. And so whether or not it was an insertion later by maybe a copyist or maybe um, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was in the original and it was missed in a certain family of manuscripts and it should have been included. I, and I don't know that. I mean, that's just one of the things that I, I can't answer. But my confidence in the scriptures aren't shaken because of Acts 8.37. I don't, I have, again, I don't know if that verse is original to Luke's uh, letter or not, but it doesn't make a difference to me.
I mean, if if you and I were talking about Acts 8 and you've refused to believe that 37 is genuine, then okay, (laughs) I don't care because it's not going to change anything. Uh, You know what's interesting? One of my favorite Bibles that I use here in my home and in my studies and, and, and teaching from is the New King James Version. And I like my particular uh, Bible because it, it, it includes footnotes. And it'll tell you, uh, for example, in Acts 8.37, it'll say that um, this verse is not found in all the texts. Uh, and it'll, it'll give you a side note so that, you know, uh, as I'm reading it, I can see that. And I'll, you know, I know this is a, a verse that might be contested by some people or, or at least by some um, experts uh, who, who review manuscripts. And, you know, so it's just kind of nice to know that. It's kind of nice to have a Bible that gives you those footnotes that say that, uh, you know, some manuscripts might omit this verse and things like that. Um, but in this in this one here, it's found in the Western and in, uh, text and in the Latin text, it's it's there. So it's, it's sort of in dispute as to whether or not it's original to Luke. But again, the answer that I have is the same and it doesn't matter. If you want to remove this, if we're discussing it and you just object to this verse, okay. (laughs) I'm okay with that. I'll roll with that because it doesn't matter to me. Um, And I still have uh, confidence in the scriptures even though this verse is in dispute. You know what's really interesting about the uh, New Testament, for example, the the manuscripts that we have, is that they surpass in volume and um, chronological proximity uh, than any other work of antiquity. And I'll explain what I mean. For example, if you were um, looking to read uh, about the works of, of Caesar, um, now they were written, they were written probably somewhere between 100 and I don't know 100 BC to around 50 BC, something like that. Sometime it was when it was originally written, the works of Caesar. Yet the earliest copy that we have is was is dated around 900 AD. Okay, so uh, about a thousand years later is the first copy that we have, and we only have about 10 of those copies that are available. And yet, it's reasonable. I mean, most scholars will accept that as being genuine, even though it's about a thousand years before or after it was written as our first copy, and there's only about ten copies available. Um, if you're interested in reading the works of Plato, which was originally written around 400 BC, something like that, um, also the earliest copy that we have is about 1,200 years later. Uh, so even though it was written in 400 BC, our earliest copy is around 900 AD, and there's only seven of those copies available. Um, if you're interested in, in Aristotle, written around same thing, around 400 BC, you're going to have to wait 1,400 years to get the first, the earliest copy. Uh, you know, it, 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 there's a, the span of nearly 1,400 years from when it was written to our first copy of it, and there's only 49 of those available. Um, Homer's Iliad, uh, the famous uh, work, uh, written around 900 BC, uh, its first copy is not till 500 years later. In 400 BC, we find its first copy. Now, there are 643 of um, those um, available, and and it's considered to be about 95% accurate. 
So, you know, that's just for comparison. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, hold on to your seat because this is just amazing. I mean, I just gave you some, uh, some dates there and some years of some other works of antiquity. But the New Testament is far above its peers. I mean, far, it far surpasses it. Um, it was probably the earliest book may have been written as early as 50 A.D. Uh, Mark is often thought to be the earliest gospel. Galatians may have been the earliest work that Paul wrote. Uh, very, very early works. I mean, in other words, they were written probably about two to three decades after the events. Okay, so already we're talking pretty early. Um, and the earliest fragmented copies or, or manu- of text that we have date to about a hundred years or maybe even less of some of those works. So we're talking a hundred years later, our first copies uh, that we still have. We still have those. And how many exist? <laughs> this number is staggering. I mean, we have about over 5,000 uh, full-length manuscripts of these works. And then we have tens of thousands of fragmented copies. Um, again, doesn't even compare to uh, some of the, like Caesar's. We only had ten copies of his works. And we have thousands upon thousands of copies of the New, ne- New Testament to compare them to. And as a result, it's very easy, I believe, uh, or at least it's reasonable to, to go for the copies and see what the original might have said, to, to see where the variations appear and to make conclusions as to what must have been originally written. You know, it is interesting that the New Testament was written so soon after uh, the events, and especially the Gospels, and I think this is very important to, to note. Uh, within a couple of decades, you know, maybe two decades, Mark wrote down his Gospel. Mark is often thought to have been written first, and maybe it was. We don't have the dates, actually, in the Gospels. But these Gospels were written fairly early to the life of Jesus. And, and that's, I think, extremely remarkable, because many of the people who saw those events were still alive. And the Gospels had a tendency to name people. You know, there are people's names that appear in them, like Nicodemus and Simon the Pharisee and uh, um, Zacchaeus. And, you know, these these people who are are named by name there. And that's remarkable because it's very possible that some of those people were still alive when those letters were, were written down. And that the readers might even have known them or could go find them. I mean, these people were alive as these letters were distributed because they were written so early. I mean, I don't know if all of them were alive, but even if they weren't alive, as someone who wanted to to investigate, someone who wanted to check out some of these claims, could reasonably go hunt the people down, maybe their families, friends, neighbors, and talk to them to see if these events really occurred. And, And again, that is extremely significant because if these claims about Jesus in the Gospels were made, and those claims were false if, for example, he didn't feed 5,000 people in John chapter 6. And yet, John is written early enough. I believe, I believe there's evidence in, in the Gospel of John that it was written before 70 AD. Um, but that's a dispute, of course. But if it was written early, um, someone who says, oh, come on, Jesus couldn't feed 5,000 people miraculously... Well, a lot of those people were probably still alive. The areas are uh, in John chapter 6. We know exactly where, well, not exactly, but we know pretty close to where this happened in the nearby towns. Someone could go there and check it out. Um, And so it's kind of hard to sustain a lie, a written lie, when you're naming people 
locations and is written in uh, close proximity to the events. You know, in, on um, on December 11th, or excuse me, September 11th, September 11th, 2001, 9/11. Uh, I'm 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 podcasting from Somerset, Pennsylvania. Of course, on 9/11, the planes went down, and one plane, Flight 93, went down not far from Somerset here. Let's say we're almost two decades past that. That's hard to believe. But um, let's say I publish a story that on 9-11, me and the mayor of Somerset and the fire chief, and I name him, and the police chief, and I name him or whatever, and we all drove out to the, the field where the plane went down, and there we we met the pilot who was stumbling through the field and we gave him first aid and took him to the hospital and talked with him and then he settled down and moved into the house beside me. Let's say I come up with a story like that and I published this story. But one of the problems is, is I've, you know, if I'm going to try to make a lie up, um, I've got very specific with it. I've named people, I've named places, um, and I've named a well-known event that, uh, I mean, people would be up in arms immediately. And if anybody wanted to check them out, all they had to do is check these places out, go to the hospital that I named. And was the pilot there? Um, talk to the police chief. Talk to the mayor of Somerset. Because I'm, I'm naming these people. Even if I don't put their names in them, I'm telling them you know, who they are in the in this this document that I'm that I'm lying in. Um, and it would be very easy to 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 demonstrate that what I've said was a lie because I, it's too close to the event and also I'm too specific. If I'm going to make up a lie, I want to be very general about it and, and not bring people into it by name. And yet the gospel writers brought people into it by name. They named the locations, and they wrote soon after the events occurred. Now, that's remarkable because, to me, that means these people had confidence in the events that they were talking about. And their early readers could go and check those events out if they wanted to do that. And yet these letters were circulated they were copied and recopied, I believe, with confidence. The bottom line for me is that the New Testament is a reliable document, document when, especially when we compare it to other works of antiquity. The number of manuscripts or fragmented manuscripts that are available for review that exist today is just absolutely overwhelming when we compare it to other works. The fact that the writers named people, named places and events that took place in the life of the witnesses is remarkable. It's very hard to sustain a lie when you're doing that kind of thing. The fact that manuscripts uh, spread to other countries and in other languages can be collected and compared um, and it, that it can be determined what the originals must have said for these manuscripts to exist in the form that they are is remarkable. All of this has led me to the conclusion that the New Testament is reliable, that the stories of Jesus are reliable that the events told in the, the Bible is reliable. You know, not long ago, a fellow in the jail challenged me on this subject. 
I was talking about the reliability, and he said, you know, I want to I want to read from someone who um, wasn't a follower of Jesus. You know, I I want to know uh, what that person had to say. I said, well, you're actually in luck. I said, um, Saul of Tarsus was not a follower of Jesus. Matter of fact, he was a persecutor of Jesus. Um, and he encountered Jesus. Uh, and, he, you know, we have the majority of the New Testament written by this man. Uh, I said, there's James, the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother, but a different father. James was not a believer uh, in Jesus at first. And yet Jesus appeared to him personally, and he became a believer. And he also wrote, we have his testimony. And the guy said, oh, no, no. He said, I, I want to I read from someone who, uh, you know, was there but doesn't believe in Jesus. I said, well, you're in luck. <laughs> we have Josephus, uh, a first century or second century Jewish historian who wrote about the Jews. And sort of in passing, he recorded something about Jesus. Certainly he documents that Jesus existed and so on and so forth. And we have the uh, Roman historian Tacius. He also wrote of Jesus. Yet neither of these people were followers of Jesus. And they recorded about Jesus. And the man still objected. He said, no, I want to read something from someone who met Jesus after his resurrection and said it didn't happen. <laughs> I was dumbfounded. I said, okay, you want to read a lie. You want to read somebody who met Jesus after he resurrected, but said he didn't. And then you'll believe if you read the works of a liar. And the guy got kind of quiet. I think he got a little on the angry side. I mean, I, it was obvious to me that what he was doing was, was applying a standard to the Bible that he would not apply to anything else. And I believe that's unfair. I believe that we need to apply the standards of the New Testament that we would apply to any other work to determine if it's reliable. And in my opinion, the New Testament has met that test and is in fact a reliable document. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for joining me. If you have any comments, feel free to go to my website. You can uh, leave a comment if you'd like. Share this on your own social media platform if you like it. Uh, so don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on um, Apple, on Google Play, on uh, Stitcher, um, or just go to my own website and, uh, and subscribe there. In any event, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and I look forward to seeing you next time on the Thinking Christian Podcast.